Welcome to Her Dark Materials. I'm Fear. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this episode, we are talking about chapter three of The Amber Spyglass, Scavengers. she's got a headache yeah i've had like a super fun thumpy thumpy migrainey headache all day but i'm powering through because recording a podcast is less strenuous on my eyes and my brain no offense to you guys uh, than <laughs> painting tiny things which is what i've been trying and failing to do all day holding your breath and gritting your teeth because you're trying to paint something tiny is not conducive to getting rid of the headache you've had all day. No, not good for that. Not good for the tension. How are you? Uh, <laughs> um, I'm getting by, you know. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Hair Dark Materials, a podcast <laughs> where you can listen to two sad northern women getting through the day. <laughs> We're very much on our sad girl shit right now yeah. <laughs> um, but we're still here and that's we what are. counts right yeah hopefully this will cheer us up <laughs> it's the chapter for it well i was gonna say we're on our sad girl shit and then the chapter's quite sad as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that always happens oh boy it's fine it's fine. <laughs> i'm trying to think have we done anything interesting we went to a gig on friday was that friday yeah. It was on Friday, mm-hmm. yes. And we went to a drag race viewing on Thursday. That was fun. Drag race, UK. Drag race, okay. The only drag race I couldn't be bothered with at the moment. Sam, I have the biggest crush on Chariot Case. Oh my God, Chariot Case, if you're listening, <laughs> hit me up. <laughs> it's for you, it's just anybody that exudes the same vibes as Blake from Workaholics, basically, isn't it? Blake Anderson, if y- you're listening, <laughs> hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> fellow podcaster when there's the big global podcasters meet up yeah you can just go and hit him up at the bar that's the thing right we'll, we'll get invited to that party right sure of course of <laughs> course of course and then yes we went to see um our friend's band breakfast with bears who we've shouted out before and zach is also my co-host on my paramore podcast and they were really good they they fucking smashed it in fairness and the crowd loved it it was amazing it was really fun it was really nice to go to i haven't been to a I haven't been to gigs in ages. They've only just started getting, like, starting back up. But this is the first, like, small gig that I've done as well that's, like, proper small. It's, like, at the back of, um, just at the back of this bar. It's, like, tiny little venue. No, not much space for bouncing around, but people were bouncing around because they were loving it. It was, um, yeah, it was fun. <laughs> I felt really old, actually, though. <laughs> yeah, I did feel quite old as well. I mean, that's yeah. just happen- happening now as we're getting older, I suppose. <laughs> I suppose I did see you like four days, three days in a row, four days in a row. And then you came over to my house and we just listened to, we watched Phoebe Bridges music videos basically for like four hours. We've had this sad girl shit going on for a while actually. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a lifestyle, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> at this point. <laughs> We're committing to it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
do we have anything else to tell you? Merch, I suppose. Mm, while we are spending this chapter paying homage to the memory of Lee Scoresby, you too can do that by picking up some Balloon Dad stickers and just checking out all the other cool stickers that we have put in the shop since we updated all the sticker merch that we have, Yay. which is super fun. And don't worry, we are still thinking about and trying to work on clothing merch, but we'll get to it. It's the thing is with all this, all this stuff, all this like clothing merch, and then all the Patreon stuff that I want to get to. It's like it's hard, you know. It's we're busy people. We've got um busy shit going on and sad girl shit to be doing. Yeah, do you know what? Yeah, it's true. We have. (laughs) Sorry, I'm too busy being sad. I'm too busy laying on my bed in the dark listening to Phoebe Bridges. So (laughs) I'll get round to that Patreon content (laughs) when I finish doing that. Actually, I have so many ideas. I just wish that somebody would like. If I could duplicate myself so that half of me could do all of the work that I do for grown-up money to pay my rent and then the other half of me can go and do all the fun Patreon shit that I want to do, that would be great. (laughs) Agreed completely, yes. Um, And then I thought, oh, what better way to get around that by starting another fucking podcast <laughs> and i've got twice the amount of work so well done me that was all my fault really mm-hmm. nobody she else's fault she do like to be busy that's <laughs> true i find that one of my favorite things to do is just say yes to loads of stuff and have loads of ideas and start doing loads of new stuff so that in like two weeks time i can complain about how busy and overwhelmed that i am i find that that's like one of my it's a, it's a classic Rachel move (laughs) yeah I feel that I feel like one of my classic moves especially recently is like being really excited to like start something or like start a particular thing for like the Patreon or whatever and then just never get around to actually doing it so I'll get a little bit do you know do you know when you get into something and then for some reason your brain just goes no you're never working on that ever again that is literally what's happened with a lot of the Patreon stuff. I've got so many like half finished like Patreon project uh, projects that my brain's like, no, sorry, we're not doing that anymore. And I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, okay, but we we would quite like it. No, yeah, <laughs> no. Every time you think about that, you're gonna pick up your computer and then you get a notification on your phone. You spend three hours on TikTok. Actually, I think that's what we're gonna do instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Hundred yeah. percent. Well, hopefully we'll. We'll get there. You know, this is... We were. Yeah, we're on our sad girl shit. It's fine. It's important that, you know, we showcase all the emotions on this podcast. Yes. <laughs> hey, Faye. Hi. What would your sad girl demon have been this week? Uh, My sad girl demon is a very sad girl demon, actually. So... I recently lost someone that was quite close to me and I was thinking about this and I was thinking about how he used to really love bird watching and he would keep like birds in the shed not in the shed it was like a proper like built up bird hutch thing when I was a kid and uh, I was thinking that my demon this week would be do you know one of those like green parakeets that are in London yeah one of those because I think that he wouldn't have seen them before and he would be really excited because I don't think he ever went to London and he, I think he'd be excited that there were like these exotic birds flying around the city. Oh yeah, that's a really good one. Yeah. What, what about you? Old headachey girl over there. I mean, a headache hasn't been the theme of my entire week just today, but it's a bit overwhelming so it's kind of all I can think about at the moment. Fun. I was literally just Googling animals that can get headaches. Turns out 
cats and dogs can get headaches. Oh, poor baby. Poor things. But all I can think of what I actually want to do right now is curling up in the dark with a cat. So I think it. I'm going back to default. Lovely, big, fluffy, tabby cat demon to just curl up with and like turn all the lights down really low and curl up and watch a movie just really quietly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Oh, you did get to spend time with the cat that lives in my house. Recently. I did. Yeah. He's very cute. He's very soft. <laughs> He's very soft. Yeah. He's very soft. He liked you. He, ne- he usually never comes out of um, my housemate's bedroom when there are other people here, but took a little shine to you. Yeah. It's because he can feel the desperation for approval rolling <laughs> off of me, which all cats can feel. And some are put off by it. And some are like, aha, a subject. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I shall rule over you. I'm like, okay, would you like some more chin scritches? And they're like, yes, yes, I would. Thank you. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, a little short and sweet intro today, but shall we Shall we just get into this chapter? Yeah, let's do it. Last chapter, Will vowed to find Lyra and enlisted our new angel friends Balthamos and Baruch to help him, despite their plans to take him to Azrael. Baruch went ahead to find Lyra and Coulter while Will journeyed on with the ever-sarcastic Balthamos. After a very tense encounter with another angel who called down Metatron, Will and the angels escaped to another world, where the angels told Will more about their mission and we learnt more about the Authority. Lyra continued her conversation with Roger and promised that she and Will would find him. In this chapter, Serafina finds Yorick to tell him about the death of our beloved Lee. Yorick travels into the Chittagatsi world to find Lee and honour his death by eating him. Roger and Lyra worry about Mrs Coulter in their continued dream conversation. Okay. Rich, do you want to tell us about the quote at the top of this chapter first, or do you want me to tell you what the little icon picture is? Or can you guess what you think the picture might be? Oh, oh, what do I think the picture would be? They're, everything in this chapter is really grim. Um, is it a flower? It is not. It is a little fox. Oh, oh, that's cute. Yeah, nice. So yes, tell us, tell us about the quote, Rich. Tell us about the quote. Well... The quote is super fun on my page because of the way that it's put together. You can barely read every other word. Oh, cool. (laughs) Great, thanks. This quote is from The Knight's Tomb by Samuel Taylor Coleridge. The knight's bones are dust and his good sword rust. His soul is with the saints I trust. Oh. Would you like to hear the whole poem? It's nice and short. (laughs) Sure, okay. (laughs) Where is the grave of Sir Arthur O'Kellen? Where may the grave of that good man be? By the side of a spring on the breast of Havelin, under the twigs of a young birch tree. The oak in that summer was was sweet to hear, and rustled its leaves in the fall of the year, and whistled and roared in the winter alone is gone, and the birch in its stud is grown. The knight's bones are dust and his good sword rust. His soul is with the saints I trust. Short and sweet. So, according to poemanalysis.com my very important research uh, the vibe of the poem is Sir Arthur O'Kellen refers to King Arthur the King Arthur of legend and of potentially history 
I think mostly legend, right? I have no idea. Don't ask me. <laughs> I feel like King Arthur is like legendary and there's like a king that King Arthur is based on, but King Arthur isn't real, but don't quote me on that. King cause... Arthur was the sword in the stone guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I only know that because of the, the movie. Mm. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> of course. Uh, and the sword in the stone is obviously not a, not a super true story with all the dragons and shit. Oh my well, God, is it not true? <laughs> no, I'm so sorry. <laughs> But King Arthur is probably based on a real king. Um, so Havelin is actually a mountain in the Lake District. According to poetryanalysis.com, through this allegory, the poet asks the whereabouts of this made-up great soul and points out the forgetful nature of the people who forget everything that has played a lead role in their lives. With the Knight's Tomb, the poet also points out the selfishness of those who forget the benevolence and good deeds of the one who did contribute to this society. So the general tone of the poem is suggesting, like, you know, where are the bones of this knight who did so much good for the realm? Oh, they're under this tree and it's overgrown and his bones are dust and his sword is rusted and it's just this like forgotten space. That for me, with the vibe of this particular chapter, really conjures like us thinking about all the stuff that Lee's done for like the campaign of the entire books, all the stuff that Lee's done for us and how he's left to not rot, thanks to Serafina, but you know, left to be forgotten and for his deeds to go unknown. Mm-hmm who will know how and why he fought that last stand except for us who read the books yeah and I'm sad either Yorick or Serafina like thinks or says I don't understand why he stayed and fought when he could have just escaped ah sad yeah thanks Phil for picking a really fucking sad poem (laughs) god damn it Phil there is a very good if you want to hear it read by somebody that is much more eloquent than me there's like for a, like a national poetry day or something there's a video of sophie turner from game of thrones reading it and she does a much better job because you know she's an actress so amazing sounds good okay so we start this chapter and we're with seraphina hi seraphina hey, it's been hey. so long missed you missed you babes yeah um she's not very happy there she's like us she's on her sad girl shit she is she really is um she she's weeping she's crying she's thinking about uh rage and fear and remorse she's crying she's flying she's flying and crying (laughs) she's flying and crying (laughs) rage against the woman Coulter, whom she had sworn to kill fear of what was happening to her beloved land and remorse she would face the remorse later this remorse thing I understand but I'm also like girl it wasn't your fault it wasn't your fault you didn't get there in time it's one of those things you can feel sorry that it happened but you shouldn't feel sorry in a way that you should feel guilty yes it's not her fault I mean if only Lee had used it a little bit earlier on I don't want to blame Lee either but (laughs) just victim blaming the dead man here Faye but also yeah he could have remembered about the flower sooner (laughs) Oh, we're going back now to like the subtle knife when we were just learning about the Asriel explosion and all the like climate change and stuff and we were getting all those descriptions. We're like getting more of those descriptions here um, of what Asriel has done. And like, obviously, I think I said this in the subtle knife episodes, but it's fucking sad, isn't it? That like Phil wrote these books in like the mid 90s and nothing has changed. We're still having these issues, these climate issues now. And I'm I'm assuming that he put them in this book to you know raise awareness of what is happening in the world and here we are 
And it's worse now. So much worse. Yeah. I mean, making one of your main characters a polar bear and then having him struggling to find a home for his people because the world is melting is an absolute fucking mood that I'm, you know, sad that we still have to be here for because super fun fact of some people thinking it doesn't even, it's not, is it a thing? Well, it's in, it's in a fantasy book. It's not a thing, is it? Except for it's actually happening on your doorstep. The world is either on fire or it's flooding or it's melting. You know, all those nice things. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, yeah, even in this world, it's either on fire or it's melting. Boom. Yeah, Serafina can like hardly recognise the lay of the land underneath her because like so much stuff that was land is now flooded or so much stuff that was ice is now not ice anymore. Must be really like unsettling as somebody that navigates you know, mostly from an aerial view, just suddenly have like the topography of the world underneath you changing completely. Yeah, absolutely. She is flying north to find Yorick and I just think it's really sweet that she does this. She doesn't have to do this. She doesn't have to go and tell him, but she does and it's really sweet. Yeah. Uh, Like you were saying, all of Yorick's kingdom is like unrecognizable and she eventually finds Yorick and he is in the water trying to hunt a walrus and it's not great because the ice is melted so they would usually hunt them on land and polar bears aren't that great at hunting in the water but he does catch it and eats it. Phil bloody loves to give a description of anything remotely gory and obviously we love it too. So Serafina watched as the creatures fought, turning the white sea spray red and saw Yorick haul the carcass out of the waves and onto the broad, a broad shelf of rock, watched at a respectful distance by three ragged furred foxes waiting their turn at the feast. I love these little foxes. I love them too. Also, Phil is very proud of himself for this chapter because he's called it scavengers and if anybody wishes to play the tap your nose or take a swig game as we play as we read through this chapter, every time Phil mentions something that is scavenging in some way, mm-hmm. you've got to have a little a little <laughs> nod or a little drink because, like, this is it. There's these little scavenger foxes waiting on Yorick's meal, and there's going to be so many more little things where Phil's like, and that's a kind of scavenging. And that's a kind of scavenging. Aren't I a clever man? <laughs> yeah, I mean, even to a certain extent, Yorick's scavenging now because they don't have they don't have much food left, and they're not hunting in their usual way. Also, interesting how um, I was thinking about this: how the like bear kingdom like hierarchy works in the sense that like you you might assume that somebody else would be getting Yorick's food for him because he's the king. If it was Yoffa, I would assume that somebody else would be like waiting on him. But with Yorick, he's like, I'm going to do it myself, mate. I think that's part of the the old ways that Yorick was keen to go back to, though, right? Because it's this whole thing that bears are solitary and I guess they only come together for important reasons or whatever. And it was weird that they were all living in the castle with Yoffa. True, true, true. Serafina lays down her bow to speak to Yorick and Yorick's a bit like, Girl! We've never had any beef. What were you doing? Yeah. It's a bit of a somebody starting a conversation with like, now hear me out. Let me get to the end of this before you make any judgments. And you're like, oh God, what are they going to say? What's going on? What's going on? How have they wronged me? What are they doing? What's happening here? <laughs> That's Yorick watching her putting this bow down. But it does call back to when she did it with Thorold and the subtle knife. It just seems to be like a, a witch tradition, right? Yeah, I think it's a general that world kind of vibe because I'm sure that somebody else lays down their weapons or maybe it's to the witches that they lay down their weapons. 
I'm sure the Egyptians have done it at some point as well. I can't remember. She tells Yorick that Lee is dead. She says, King Yorick, I have failed your comrade, Lee Scoresby. The bear's small black eyes and blood-stained muzzle were very still. She could see the wind ruffling the tips of the creamy white hairs along his back. He said nothing. Mr. Scoresby is dead, Serafina went on. Before I parted from him, I gave him a flower to summon me with if he should need me. I heard his call and I flew to him, but I arrived too late. He died fighting a force of Muscovites? Musc- I always forget this. Muscovites? Muscovites, the Muscovites. Yeah. But I know nothing of what brought them there or why he was holding them off when he could have easily escaped. King Yorick, I am wretched with remorse. You don't need to be remorseful, Serafina. Also, classic Yorick that he doesn't give a shit about her remorse. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's very, like, Yorick to just be like, he's very to the point. He's like, where did this happen? Blah, blah, blah. Not like, oh, girl, it's not your fault. (laughs) He doesn't care for these, like, human emotions. The image of him just hearing, I failed your comrade, Lee Scoresby, and him being, like, very, very still kind of says a lot to me in terms of, like, you know, if somebody... If you're unfortunate enough to be wrong with bad news and it starts with God telling anyone bad news like that, they're like the way that people freeze to hear that news is quite often very telling. And especially for Yorick, who's quite a stoic character. It's like, what's happening here? Because we know they've got like a really deep, long history together. So you know this is like devastating news and seeing Yorick taking it in theory so well or so stoically, because I don't think there is such a thing as taking bad news well. Everybody just takes it differently. Um, is I feel like you can read a lot of emotion into him being very, very still taking this news. <laughs> yeah, that is very true. Oh, it's sad, isn't it? Oh, yes, yeah, so poor sad. Yorick. <sighs> we get some like fucking exposition here from Phil, who's like, just in case you forgot from the last book. And I'm like, thank you, Phil, because I do need reminding. Serafina kind of tells Yorick like everything that happened. Like Lee going to find uh, Joppery and all that kind of shit that I won't repeat right now because I'm sure our listeners remember better than we do. But I was like, thank you, Phil. I could have done with that reminder <laughs> of what happened last book. <laughs> mm. She also like gives him the lowdown on the angels and like Ruta's journey and stuff as well. It's just like a general exchanging of information. So everyone's up to date on where we are with the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And then we learn that she's put a spell on Lee's... This is really sweet, actually. She's put a spell on Lee's body so that it won't start to decay until after Yorick has seen it. Bit of magic embalming. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. (laughs) Magic mummification, magic fridge. Uh, (laughs) What could it be? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yorick asks about Lyra. He just loves her so much. Mm -hmm. It's so sweet. But also it's really, it like, it's another one of those things where it's really jarring because it's like Serafina's coming to Yorick with more up-to-date information. But she's not up-to-date enough because Serafina's like, oh, I left her with my sisters. It's like, sorry, Serafina, if you go back there, you're going to find that all of your sisters have died and the child is gone and you don't know where the fuck she is. So, like, your information, your intel is out of date oh God, already. It is. <laughs> it is, it is. Yeah, so he's asking, like, how we can get to Lyra... He also wants to go and uh, find Lee. And then he's saying that he wants to go south. And it, the fact, it says that he's chartered a ship and it just made me laugh to think of loads of bears on a ship. Yeah, bear boat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This is where we get to meet the little foxes, which I'm also a big fan of. 
The three little foxes had been waiting patiently. Two of them were lying down, heads on their paws, watching, and the other was still sitting up, following the conversation. The foxes of the Arctic, scavengers as they were, drink, (laughs) uh, had picked up some language, but their brains were so formed that they could only understand statements in the present tense. Most of what Yorick and Serafina said was meaningless noise to them. Furthermore, when they spoke, much of what they said was lies, so it didn't matter if they repeated what they'd heard. No one could sort out which parts were true, though the credulous Cliffgas often believed most of it and never learned from their disappointment. The bears and the witches alike were used to their conversations being scavenged, like the meat they'd finished with. Sorry, it was a massive fucking quote, but I love it. I love the concept of gossipy foxes, gossipy little foxes that don't really understand what they're hearing and can only, like the concept of their brains being formed so they only get present tense stuff is like cool i guess very weird and very specific yeah i do like these little foxes also just to reiterate that the reason yorick wants to go south is because of the melting ice um when we learn a little bit more about that later seraphina is gonna go find the gyptians and i was like oh my god we haven't heard about the gyptians in ages so look yorick's response is just lord far yes good fighters go well like yes you're (laughs) right sure also mark costa good fighters yes absolutely yeah honestly true i'm not even just saying this because we're spoiler free i truly cannot even remember if the egyptians are in this book so i hope they are because i did miss them last book at least seraphina can you know update them some more with her out of date information <laughs> they'll ask how lyra's doing and she's like oh she's fine she's with my sisters and it's like bitch no she's she's in the himalayas she's asleep <laughs> she's gone and they're all dead okay <laughs> so yorick swims off towards this new world he gets there swims through to the new world it's obviously all burnt and it's his fur's getting all like dusty and black because the last time we were there the entire fucking forest was on fire he is like wandering through looking for lee he finds his way and he's stepping on like the bones of men and things like that go on you like you've got something to say just this bit as he's wandering through and he wanders through the uh all the bits of scattered like metal that's obviously from the crash zeppelins and again phil is very proud of himself here because he mentions yorick scoring a line with his floor with his claw through one of the struts and feeling the flimsiness of this of the metal and turned away to like carry on moving yorick was going to scavenge some metal but he didn't (laughs) phil's like oh scavenging he didn't because it was shit quality and also must have been like annoying to swim all the way back with yeah i mean i guess what what would he have done with it made some bracelets sold them at a market like <laughs> eric the jeweler yes. oh <laughs> cute he keeps falling down they mentioned it made me laugh i'm sorry it did yeah. just like the image of him falling down the screen like a bunch of times just made me chuckle because he's trying to get up to like the boulder where lee is and it's just like oh him just being like taken down the hill with all the rocks also because like he's such a serious he's such a serious bear and you know that like if there was anyone around to see him slipping i don't believe that yorick has a fragile enough ego that it would bother him but it would be humorous and him like brushing it off and being like it's fine and carrying on going would just be it's just such an image you know I don't know that he could laugh at himself about it, but I also don't think he'd get butthurt about it. I think he'd just like determinedly carry on. And I, I love that image. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So he finds the rock with the bullet marks and the flower that Serafina's planted as a marker. Have you looked up 
a flower at all by any chance. Mm-mm. So the flower is a purple saxifrage or saxif- saxifrage? Saxifrage? Don't know. So I googled it because as many of us know, there's meaning behind flowers. And so on the a to z of flowers.com, nice. under saxifraga, the purple saxifraga is one of the most northerly flowering plants in the world. It's the official territorial flower of the Nunavut. I really hope I pronounced that correctly. Uh, the remote area is located in the northernmost territory of Canada and more than 80% of the population is Inuit. So it is very much like a native plant to the northern reaches, which makes sense as being a plant that Serafina would be drawn to. The plant is considered a necessary part of the Inuit diet as it is rich in vitamin C. So it's also a practical plant. Again, very much makes sense as to why Serafina would choose it. It provides not only food, but also contributes as an important timekeeping function because often Inuit use the blooming period of the saxifrage plant as a reminder of carving in caribou herds. So it's a really like really useful and practical plant, which I really love. And in terms of symbolism, it symbolizes devotion, affection, and passion. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, flowers mean so much. They do. I love that. I never think to look these things up. I love looking these things up because I would never do it when I'm reading the books. It's one of the one of the fun parts of being a podcaster the things that i look up are always really trivial like what would will and lyra have seen at the cinema or how far is it from london to china i love that that's what you look at though because it's the stuff that i don't and that's why we make good co-hosts there it is there it is okay so i'm just gonna read this sad girl quote yorick Benison moved around to the upper side it was a good shelter from an enemy enemy below, but not good enough. For among the hail of bullets that had chipped fragments off the rock had been a few that had found their target. And that lay where they had come to rest, in the body of the man lying stiff in the shadow. He was a body still and not a skeleton, because the witch had laid a spell to preserve him from corruption. Yorick could see the face of his old comrade drawn and tight with the pain of his wounds and see the jagged holes in his garments where the bullets had entered. The witch's spell did not cover the blood that must have spilled, and insects in the sun and the wind had dispersed it completely. Lee Scoresby looked not asleep, nor at peace. He looked as if he had died in battle, but he looked as if he knew that his fight had been successful. Fucking thanks, Phil. Oh my god, Phil, I did not need this this week, actually. Thank you. Yeah, um... (laughs) I simultaneously i'm like no thank you fuck you phil why did you have to tell me this and also really love that this is what he's chosen to write because it's really like it would be very easy to say that he looked like he just looked like he was sleeping and oh he looked so at peace now because his job was done and all of these kind of sentiments that are you know very valid and heartfelt sentiments and all that but like saying no he doesn't look peaceful he looks like he died fighting and in pain is so much more like gritty and raw and thanks for making us relive it phil uh we didn't need that right now i actually really like the choice to do that because it just feels a lot more again for like a fantasy novel it just feels a lot more real to be like no this is how this is how i'm doing this i'm not I'm not going to sugarcoat anything for you. Thanks. <laughs> no, totally. I, I completely agree with you. I much prefer it. I think that it would have been a bit of a like 
tarnished to his memory if it was like oh and he looked like you said it looked like he was sleeping he was so peaceful and it's like well no because we were there when he died and it was not peaceful it did not end in a peaceful way for him i really like that as well i actually think i fucking love this entire chapter i think that it's one of my favorites of the entire series as a whole like it's just phil did not need this chapter we don't need this chapter we could have left lee dead and we could have just not had this at all. But I'm so glad that we get it because it's just so lovely and such a fucking good tribute to friendship. Yeah, I just think it's a great example of, I guess, more of the world building vibes as well. Or just like to have Yorick's reaction to paying homage to his friend's body to be, to eat him is, again, it's such a move. It's such a decision, but it says so much about like, how different bears are to humans and how different the bear society is and how what this friendship means and something there's something beautiful in it at the same time as it being so alien to us and like making something so jarring be so moving and beautiful is really it's a vibe it's a mood (laughs) i don't i can't i can't put my finger on why it resonates so much like you said it's so alien to us the act of literally consuming this person because they mean that much to you, is very beautiful. It might be, you know, like a bit gross, but like for us as humans, but it's one of the most intimate, beautiful things you could do to the person that you love after they've died. Do you know what I mean? You are literally, they are becoming part of you. They are like sustenance for you. They are keeping you alive. And you can see why that would be, especially in terms of in the bear culture, because they do have to hunt for their food. You know, a hard a meal is hard won. And you can see, especially the way that it's phrased. I'm just going to read it. I know we've read so many segments. And because the Texan aeronaut was one of the very few humans Yorick had ever esteemed, he accepted the man's last gift to him. With deft movements of his claws, he ripped aside the dead man's clothes, opened the body with one slash and began to feast on the flesh and blood of his old friend. It was his first meal for days and he was hungry. It's because he was one of the few humans he had ever seen. It's almost like it must be a thing in bear culture, I think, to potentially do that because Yorick does eat the heart of Yoffa when he kills him. So obviously consuming the flesh of one of your peers (laughs) is common practice enough in bear culture. And so it is like Lee's been adopted into the bear society and this act is a showing of reverence and of treating Lee as being family just like another bear probably and it's like oh that's so beautiful but also people call these children's books you've just had one of your favorite characters bear dad just ate balloon dad (laughs) (laughs) like this is a children's well a young adult slash children's book (laughs) oh my god Do you know what I mean? Yes, yes. I completely know what you mean. But I just, I hadn't put it together. Bear dad. Ain't balloon dad. That is what happened. That's what we should put on a fucking sticker. Put that on a fucking (laughs) t-shirt. It's a dad eat dad world out there. (laughs) While Yarrick is eating, a complex web of thoughts is weaving itself together in his mind. More than just hunger and satisfaction, it's the memory of Lyra and... It's all of the journey that they've been through together. And basically the main thing that he lands on is finding Lyra and vengeance. And I'm so here for that. (laughs) 100%, yeah. That he wants to avenge Lee and I fucking love that and I'm here for it and I want him to. 
I'll help you, Yorick. We'll help you if you need it. Yes. He finishes eating and he gathers the fragments of Lee. <laughs> oh, that hurt me to say that. Into a heap and he puts the flower on top of them because that's what a human would do. And I love that as yeah, well. I know. I love that. Oh my God, just thinking about it. So the way that Phil deals with death rituals in these books in general, because we also have obviously Lyra in the catacombs and the coins in the mouths of the skulls. And we have Lyra scratching the coin for little Tony Macarios and putting that in his mouth when the Egyptians burn him after he's died. Like there's so many really beautiful cultural things. We have the witches as well with uh, Yamba Aka. Yes, yeah. And that is something that's so a massive part of the world building of the books. And I really love it because it's such a thing that is different across different cultures and having different cultures within the books, having all of these different approaches to the way that they deal with death rites and death rituals is fantastic. Well done, Phil. Absolutely. 100%. We, we love to see it as the big old morbid goths that we are. Yep, 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 yep. Anything to do with death, we love it. So Serafina's spell is now broken. Uh, Lee's body would now also nourish others. And I love that that's the vibe as well. Phil could have written that in a different way where it's like, oh, like now his body was going to get scavenged by like other animals and oh my God, ah, but like, no, no, no. It's it's sustenance again for more animals, insects, whatever. Like I like that that's a vibe rather than that being a disgusting thing that's going to happen to Lee's body. It's actually quite a beautiful thing. Yeah. So yeah, we've also had Yorick's just scavenged Lee and now he's left Lee to be scavenged by others. Feels like scavenging on scavenging on scavenging. <laughs> so much to be scavenged. And then if you just think the word enough, it make, doesn't make sense anymore. It just doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Yorick is thinking about the... he. We get a little more info on what, why Yorick wants a boat. And it is because he heard from Lee, our pal Lee, still helping Yorick out after his death, about mountains that were so high that the balloon couldn't even fly over them and that they were crowned with snow and ice all year. And so Yorick's decided that the bears might need to go and explore those mountains to try and find a home that's icy all the time and is not affected by fuckboy Azriel and his Azriel explosion. <laughs> Fuck Azriel. Fuck him. We're now with the little foxes and the cliff gas. And I just want to say, fuck cliff gas. I fucking hate them so much. I hate them. I hate them. I'm sad because I obviously felt a lot of affection for these tiny little foxes. And I'm glad that we get to hear them talk, but I'm sad that it's going to end badly for this little fox. Again, I love the way that this, the speech of the both of these uh, creatures is written because it's, yeah, the intonation and the speech patterns of them is really well written to just give you such a, it gives it all a flow and a way that like feels like, you know, these are definitely two non-human creatures talking to each other. The cliff gas are going to fucking eat this fox, but they're letting it talk for the lols before they murder it. And it's like chatting shit, basically. It's, it's repeating what it's heard from earlier. Do you think I can get away with playing you a clip from the audiobook when yeah. this conversation happens? Because the audiobook goes to town on it and also in a way that I'm like, oh, fucking thanks. Because of the way that they say, Scar's been dead! Fuck <laughs> off. I can't. I, they can go fuck themselves, honestly. <laughs> Scar's been dead. Dead? Balloon man dead? <laughs> Cliff Ghast's laugh echoed around the dry cliffs. Which kill him? Scoresby dead. King Bear goes south. Scoresby dead. <laughs> Scoresby dead. I'm fucking fuming. I fucking hate them. That's just made it even fucking worse. I hate, I hate it. I hate it. 
Also, is it is it Phil doing the voices? No, so Phil does the narration and then they've got voice actors in to do uh, the different characters. But yeah, so that's like they really, really go ham on the Scoresby dead in that. And they really go ham on like the cliff gas being like creepy, creepy. And then the little foxes being really cute and like, bear must go south, swear, witch in trouble, true, swear, promise. <laughs> and it's like, why you got to make the fox so cute and the cliff gas so mean? <laughs> The cliff gas kind of sound exactly what I thought, like, in my head they would sound like. Also, like, that really, it just hurts my heart. I can't, I can't have them do that. I hate them with every fibre of my being. Like, how dare you? How fucking dare you? Having such a loving tribute, yet gory tribute to Lee Scoresby, followed by literally having one of these horrible little monsters being like, Scoresby dead! <laughs> Balloon Man Dead. That's the one that gets me. Yeah. Horrible. Balloon Dad to you, actually? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I think you'll find that's Mr. Balloon Dad. (laughs) (laughs) The third. (laughs) Uh, God, I'm really upset. That's actually really upset me. It's fine. I'm fine. We get... uh, So what we get from the fox is some information we know and some information we don't which is very interesting. So obviously the fox has heard from the witch, aka Serafina, that the witch is troubled um, and that the bear king must go south, etc, etc. However, flying things got treasure, flying things, angels, crystal treasure. We don't know what that is, do we? Isn't that just because Serafina described them to Yorick as being like crystallite? I don't think so. I think it might be something else. I think oh. Phil's teasing a bit more information. So I think it might be some information that we have and some that we don't, which is fun to like mm. throw that in, in like the babblings of a fox. But also just having uh, the cliff gas wrench off the fox's head and fight his brothers for the entrails. Thanks, Phil. That's a great image. And also some more scavenging to finish off your scavengy chapter. <laughs> Very scavengy. Yep, 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 yep. So we then flip back to this conversation with... Lyra and Roger. She doesn't mention Lee. The end of last chapter we were talking about, she like listed characters, didn't she, about like uh, Yorick and Serafina and she doesn't mention Lee. I wonder if that's intentional from Phil. To make you think Lee and then have a whole chapter about Lee and then her not say Lee. <laughs> yes, it's a, it's, it's a move. It's a choice. <laughs> it's, a, it's a misdirect. Um, absolutely. So Roger asks where Lyra is and she can't answer and then ends up saying that she thinks that she's dreaming and there are like hundreds of ghosts behind Roger, which is cool and spooky and I like that a lot. Roger says, and that woman, I hope she ain't dead. I hope she stays alive as long as she ever, uh, as long as ever she can because if she comes down here, then there'll be nowhere to hide. She'll have us forever then. That's the only good thing I can see about being dead, that she ain't, except I know she will be one day. Talking about Coulter, obviously. And then that kind of like triggers something in Lyra. And she's like, she doesn't know where she is, but where Mrs. Coulter is, but she can sense that she's close. I love this conversation. And I also don't because like, I forgot how much Roger talks. It might just be me. It might just be the Golden Compass film that's done it as well. But like, Roger still talks like him and Lyra did at the beginning of the first book. And I feel like the way Lyra speaks has changed a lot, especially since she's met Will, who speaks in a much a way that feels much more colloquial and casual to us. So hearing Roger be like, and that woman, I hope she ain't dead. I hope she stays as alive as long as ever she can. It's like a it's like it feels like it's gonna be like Mary Poppins or something. It's very like, all right, sir. <laughs> Please, misters. 
He didn't get, please, mistress. <laughs> he died and he didn't get a chance to improve his vocabulary because he's dead. No, no. And I, yeah, I absolutely get that. I just, it feels jarring to hear Roger speaking in, this, in that way when we have gotten so used to Lyra, who's from the same place, like kind of changing the way she speaks a yeah, lot. Yeah, because she doesn't say like Ent anymore, does she, Lyra? I don't feel like she does. No, it does feel, yeah, it does feel like you're stepping back into that like Northern Lights Oxfordy vibe at the beginning of Northern Lights. But yeah, that's where that's where we leave that chapter. Yeah. A little short and sweet one. What's the next chapter called? Amma and the Bats. Oh, lovely. Love bats. <laughs> love bats. I feel like we might not love this chapter then because we love bats because I bloody well remember what happens. But Oh, oh no, no, I don't remember. Oh no. <laughs> oh, oh no. <laughs> well, tune in in two weeks' time to hear Faye's reaction to the next chapter because... <laughs> She really loves bats. Um, Oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, I know I said it in the middle of that conversation, but I fucking love that chapter so much. I love it so much. I think it's one of my favourites of all of the books. Having Yorick Eatley is, in my opinion, fucking genius. Yeah, it's a really good chapter. It's a really strong chapter. And again, it's a very... We don't advance the plot a heck ton. You know, you could have just had them have a little conversation, but, you know, using it to have that moment of character development and that moment of reverence for someone that that we loved and we lost at the last the end of the last book. It's like a love letter to Lee Scoresby, even though he's being eaten. And like, I, I love that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this chapter could just not be in the book and like the book would still make sense. But I love it and I'm glad that it is there. And I'm glad that it was short and sweet because it meant that we could bang on about the little bits of it that we love a lot as long as we needed to and didn't feel like we had to rush over it because I think it deserves to be given all of the time. Do you have an award to give out? Uh, Yes, my award is to Gossipy Foxes. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Uh, Obviously, I would love to posthumously just give Lee another 10 million awards, but that's not how it works and I really love the concept of these little foxes. I just think they're really cute. I'm s- sad one of them died. I, I really like foxes, that's all. <laughs> I know you do, yeah. <laughs> what about you? I am going to give mine to Serafina. I think that she did a really nice thing by going all that way to tell Yorick because she didn't have to. And I know that, like, you know, you know, it was a little bit selfishly motivated because she felt really guilty about it. And I think that... The, my reading of that was that maybe telling Yorick would make her feel less guilty or speaking about it to someone would make her feel less guilty. But all the same, it's still a lovely thing that she did. And I just don't want her to feel guilty because she really tried. She just didn't get there in time and that's not her fault. Also, if she had got there, could she have taken down all of the people that Lee was fighting? I don't know. Did Lee get rid of them all in the end? I can't remember. If you are enjoying the podcast, enjoying us, talking about all of these books that we love so much and that we hope you love so much, a really great way to support us is to leave us a review. We're still running uh, our giveaway, whereby if you do leave us a review and send us a screenshot of that review, it will count as your entry into a prize draw. And when we hit 50 entries, we will pull 10 names out of a hat. 10 of you will get some super cool HDM pod bookmarks and one of you will get the up-to-date sticker merch pack 
situation that we have so you know that now includes all of the season one and season two stickers if it takes us to the end of season three then bloody hell it will have been a while but (laughs) if it does then you would get the season three stickers too leave us a review send it to herdartmaterialspod at gmail.com as a screenshot and that way that counts as your entry and that's how we'll contact you if your name is pulled out of the hat to get your details Yes, give us five stars, say nice things. Um, And if you don't want to leave us a review or you can't, uh, if you can tell a friend about us, give us a shout on social media, shout out on social media. It all helps. And we want other people to find the podcast because we like the community that we are building. And it'd be nice to have more Historic Materials fans in there. Come join the Sad Girl Book Club. Yes. (laughs) Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) That's a t-shirt right there. God damn it. (laughs) Oh my God, it is. It is. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Herd Art Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HDMPod and you can email us at herdartmaterialspod at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at hdmpod.co.uk. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. We also have a shop where you can buy merch featuring all original artwork from Rich. You can find it at hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop. I'm Faye, and when I'm not mourning the death of our beloved Lee Scoresby, you can find me talking about Paramore on my other podcast, Still Into You. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts and find us on Twitter and Instagram at Still Into You Pod. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about Bear Dad eating Balloon Dad, I am making cute and magical arty things. You can find me over on Instagram at RachMakes, on Twitter and TikTok at Rach underscore makes, and over in my online shop, RachMakes.co.uk. Huge thanks as always to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings. And we'll see you in two weeks' time. And don't forget, keep telling stories and all will be well. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go listen to Balloon Dad in the Dark and cry. Bye. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>